We are we're finishing our series in 1 Peter this morning. Can I get an oh? Oh, I know. Um, we've, we've gone through so many things in the last year, uh, just as I think about it. We went through Acts, we went through um, Ephesians, we went through the character of God and attributes of God and, and now this letter to the church. And I just think, gosh, this is the word of God to us and it's so, it's so good. Isn't it good? I've loved it. It feeds our souls. This the word of God feeds our souls. And so, as Paul said, we are landing this week. But landing doesn't mean we switch off. Um, when you land on a holiday destination, you get ready to go, don't you? Uh, and so we're, we're getting ready to apply. If we haven't been applying already, we're going to apply now um, the word of God to our hearts, to our lives. Um, <clears throat> as Paul said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting our... Um, series in Ezra, the book of Ezra. So there's a bit of a heads up. If you want some homework, read the book of Ezra uh, and you know the events that surrounded that book. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do. Um, I'm going to pick up on a few things that Peter brings out in this passage in just a moment after we've read it together. But before we do that, as is always very, very good practice, we're going to pray um, and ask God to speak to us today. How's that sound? Good. Fitting. Right. Good. Let's pray. Father, we, we do just, Lord, we want to commit this time to you. Uh, Lord, as I speak, we want to commit this next half an hour or so to you uh, to say, Lord, would your word speak to us? Lord, we, we're so thirsty for you. And even if we don't know it, we're thirsty for you. Uh, Lord, we need your word to speak into our hearts. So, so, Lord, I just pray, Heavenly Father, would you speak this morning as I speak your word, Lord, would it be your word that is spoken uh, and not mine? Lord, you be honoured, Lord Jesus, and glorified as we look at Scripture, your word to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, let's read the passage. So, <clears throat> it's... 1 Peter 5, uh, you can tap and turn there. We're going to read from verse 6 to the end. And it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself Restore and confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, that's Rome, who is likewise chosen, the church there, 
sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Very, very precious words. Um, these last six verses are as loaded as all the previous verses that came before. Um, and so let's, let's come with soft hearts to hear what the Word of God says. Um, I wonder if, like me, you have ever been asked for directions by someone and given them <laughs> the wrong directions. Um, as I thought about this, I thought, oh, Michael McIntyre, the British comedian, actually did a sketch on this, so I'm not going to try and reproduce that. But I was thinking about this, and it's, and it's so true, because I've been here, and I don't think... I, I, I hope I'm not the only one who's really made a fool out of themselves. But have you ever been asked for directions and given directions to someone, I need to get from here to here, and you said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you just go that way and, you know, if you turn left, turn right, it's a second right after that, and, and then uh, and they go away following your instructions, and you think, oh, no, I've given them the wrong instructions. That was that, was that place, not that place. Um, you feel like a bit of a lemon after that. Or have you ever asked someone for instructions only to find that their instructions are obviously wrong and you think, no, you know, you've, you've given me the wrong instructions. But you can't say, say that to someone. You've asked them for instructions. You can't then say, no, the instructions you've given me are incorrect, actually. <laughs> Because then they'll go, well, why did you ask me for instructions? And then you'll have to explain, well, I actually know roughly which direction it is. I just don't know the specific road that I need to go down. You're in danger of just getting into an argument. Um, I think I've done both of these things, and it's, it's really bad. You shouldn't do it. If you can avoid it, avoid it. The word of God, friends, um, this is always true. For everything that we take out of here, the word of God is perfect instruction. Is perfect direction for us. And so I, I guess what I'm appealing us to do is to, as we read this, really consider what do I do now as a result of hearing Scripture and reading Scripture. Um, we're going to dive into verses 6 and 7 of this uh, text that we're looking at this morning. Actually, we'll start from verse 5, because verse 5, where Daniel, actually, Daniel, who was with us last week, he spoke a lot on verse 5, but verse 5 is the, the, the train of thought that Peter is going with that takes us into verse 6. So it's relevant. So from verse 5 through to verse 7, Peter says, Close yourselves, all of you, speaking to the churches he's writing to, all of the Christians, all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So verse 6 is more accurately translated. The first two words of verse 6 in the original um, manuscripts, there wasn't verses allocated, they just wrote. Uh, but the, the, the first two words of verse 6, um, humble yourselves, therefore. The more accurate literal translation is be humbled. 
Um, because Peter's already started a train of thought. And that is, close yourselves, all of you, with humility. And he goes on, be humbled then. So we live out of here. We, we, live, we live humbled. We don't live, I'm not going to, oh, I should, I should stop being inflated and, and arrogant and prideful. I, okay, now I'll, I'll humble myself. No, he, said, he said, close yourself, all of you, with humility. Be humbled then, so live here. Live out of this position. We, we, we live with humility. We live in humility, not proud, not prideful, in all of our life. And we, we need him to help us to do this. We desperately need him to help us to do this, because the flesh is arrogant, um, but godliness is humility. Christ, the Lord God, the exalted one, came to serve and not to be served. So we live with humility. But Peter is prompting us to live in humility, honing in on a specific thing. He hones in on anxieties, and he says, cast your anxieties on him. Live, live in humility. How? Cast your anxieties. That is, the word cast is to throw off, to throw your anxieties onto Jesus. Why does Peter hone in on this? You think, well, anxieties. I don't feel like that's massively connected to... Pridefulness, but actually, the ESV study Bible and manu- and um, commentaries will agree. And this isn't. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't don't be condemned. But a lot of our anxieties, if we're really honest and we think about them, they come from a place which is a place of control. Um, I want to be sensitive because there's real nuance to this. But our anxieties, Peter's saying our anxieties are potentially from a place of, well, if it's control, it's not, it's not giving it over to him, so it's assuming we've got a better solution. And therefore it's pridefulness. And like I said, this, you know, this, for some of us, this is really hard. You think, are you calling me prideful because I'm anxious about this? So I want to tread sensitively. But we've got to consider what's, what's going on in our heart. Why are we anxious about a certain thing? Peter's saying, cast your anxieties on him because he's the one who cares for you. So what do we do with prideful anxieties? Anxieties that are born out of self-interest, concern with self. We cast them onto Jesus. Wayne Grudem in his commentary on this on this passage, says this, Peter recognises that a great barrier to putting others first and, seeking, uh, and thinking of them as more important is a legitimate human concern, but who will then care for me? The answer is that God himself will care for our needs. He is able to do so far better than we are. His hand is mighty, verse 6. And he wants to do so, for he continually cares for his children. Therefore, casting all your anxieties on him is the path to humility, freeing a person from constant concern for himself and enabling him or her truly to be concerned for the needs of others. I'll read that again. Peter recognises that a great barrier to putting others first and thinking of them as more important is a legitimate human concern, but who will care for me then? The answer is that God himself will care for your needs. 
he is able to do so far better than we are. His mighty hand. Uh, his, his hand is mighty, verse 6. And he wants to do so, for he continually cares for his children. Therefore, casting all your anxieties on him is the path to humility. Freeing a person from constant concern for himself and enabling him or her to truly be concerned for the needs of others. That's interesting, isn't it? Gosh. So what do we do with anxieties? With the people we live with? With the... The, the people we have to work with, you know, the, 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 the difficult situations that we have to navigate. What do we do with those anxieties? Anxieties with relationships outside of the church, with relationships inside the church. How do we navigate those anxieties? Are they anxieties that are concerned with self? How do we uh, navigate anxieties with situations that are, are really difficult and upsetting? Peter says, be humbled then, be humbled. Live in humility. I'm trusting the Lord. I live in humility. I I cast, I throw my anxieties onto Jesus because he cares for me. When I was a child, I was, and this, uh, hopefully, it's not the same for all of us, but for many of us, I expect that when we were children, as you walk through life, fairly ignorant and unassuming, not, not aware there's a lot of things that you just, you know what, I'm just going to entrust my parents. They know what they're doing. I think they know what they're doing at least. And they're, gonna, they're just going to, I'm just going to kind of tag along and they'll take me through it. And I'll be okay when I come out the other side. And we do that. We do that, don't we? We, we entrust ourselves to our parents as children. Hoping and expecting, hopefully, that they will take us somewhere good as a result, out the other end, out the other side. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. It's no different. Our Heavenly Father cares for us. And so I want to ask you, are you you entrusting your soul to a faithful creator? That's what Peter says in chapter 4. Entrust your souls to a faithful creator. With your cares and your anxieties, and I appreciate some of them are very difficult, but are you trusting the Lord? Are you trusting your Father in heaven? who cares for you. Do you know how much he cares for you? You have no idea how much he cares for you. You have no idea. I have no idea. But I, I, I have a tiny bit. And gosh, it blows my mind. He cares. He cares for us. His heart is towards his people. His very heart is towards his people. <clears throat> So his care for us isn't limited to a, a divine, empathetic hug. It, 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 his compassion is glorious, and we praise God for his compassion. But his care for us isn't just there, there. It's you know, fairly passive. I'll just I'll give you a hug. I'm not going to really do much else. No, he cares for us. He cares for us as the same way your parents took you and brought you through. Hopefully, and hopefully that was your experience. Maybe not for all of us, but he will care for you. He cared for you, who cares for you, and he will care for you. His, his caring of us that Peter is talking about isn't just a, there, there, I'm, you know, let me give you a, a hug. It is, no, I'm with you. My heart is for you. Do you believe that?
Do you believe that? That should wonderfully reassure us, friends. We come to a, a, a God, the Father, whose heart is, is full of care. And that's not just a, a there, there. That's a, I will, I will care for you. I will walk with you. Why is that important? Why is it important that we know this and believe this? Because we need to take refuge in him. We need to. We need to give our worries and our, and our cares to him and walk in humility. Why? Well, because as Peter goes on, there's, we've got an enemy and he's out to steal, kill and destroy. He's out to swallow you up. He wants to devour you. That's what the text says. Verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Peter says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood all over the world. We would do well to learn from the animal kingdom in this matter. And um, I will help you understand where I'm going. My point is, if you are not the top of the food chain, you, you're, you're prey. If you're not at the top, you're prey. You're prey to something. You have an enemy. And we can learn a lot from a meerkat and a prairie dog. Well, because what they do is during... The, some of you are sniffling, saying, no, I can't learn anything from a meerkat or a prairie dog. They, they, they have big families. And when they're out, out of their burrows, one of them is always... Like this, like always, like sniffing the air, and he's just hyper alert. The rest of them, you know, can get on because they know. I think I'm being filmed with <laughs> such <a> strange behaviours. <laughs> um, the rest of them are able to enjoy the fact that that they know one is alert. At least one has switched on. My point is, friends. We're supposed to be switched on to this. And I, th I don't think very often we are. I think we're fast asleep most of the time. The error so often is that unlike prey in the animal kingdom, we forget that we've got an enemy. Peter's not making this up. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. There's a saying which is about two centuries old. I think it, was, it came from a French person. I wish I knew his name now. Um, but the saying is this. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled, certainly this is true in the West, in the Western part of the world, the States, you know, and, and Western Europe. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled is convincing people that he doesn't exist. These verses are about spiritual warfare. Why? Because he does exist. Because we've got an enemy. And it says that he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The word for devour there is swallow. What's a swallow you? <clears throat> now, there's a couple of extremes that we can go with this. We're not supposed to be scared. Peter says you can resist him. There's a couple of extremes you can go to with this. And you can, you can go, oh my goodness, we've got an enemy. He must be hiding everywhere. Um, and we, you know, we can overplay it and think, goodness me, the devil's, devil's hiding around behind every corner and 
And, you know, this, it, could be any of, it could be anyone who's, no, no, that's not helpful. But equally as unhelpful is the other extreme, to be completely asleep as if that we've not got an enemy and he's, you know, he's not bothered about me anyway. Yes, he is bothered about you. He's prowling around like a roaring lion waiting for, to devour you. So let's, let's not be any of those extremes. Let's come sober-mindedly. Peter says, let's come sober-mindedly to this. Be watchful. Pay attention. Pay attention, for goodness sake. <laughs> because, because I... I'm vulnerable, and I'm not always attentive, and I, I suspect you're a bit like me. And, and so sometimes we're just caught off guard, and the devil's coming, and he's so in temptation, you think, oh my goodness, Lord, keep, Lord, keep me, protect me. I don't want to get into that. And there's a bunch of ways that he wants to pick off the family of God and to, to, to make us vulnerable and to lead us astray. It might be a number of things. It might be seeking or engaging in sexual relationships that are not God's intended design, which is marriage between a man and a woman. Or indulging in pornography and masturbation and lustfulness. It could be any of these things. It might just be that you're, you, you, know what, you just don't trust the Lord with all of life. None of this is to criticise at all. These are vulnerabilities, sinful vulnerabilities in the flesh that we live with, which he can redeem and bring us out of. Praise God, amen? But we have vulnerabilities. Maybe it is as simple as you're not loving the Lord. He's not, he's not really first, and he should be. He should be because he's the Lord. And he, and, he, and, and he shouldn't be first because of what he's done for you. He should be first because he's the Lord. But what he's done for you is staggering. And it's because of his immense love for you. He made you part of his family. How? By being crucified to, to win you. That's his love for you. So he should be first. And it might not be an intentional thing, but you just, you're just loving and enjoying lots of other stuff, which in and of themselves maybe isn't bad, but you're not loving the Lord with your whole heart. Maybe, it's, maybe you're prone to anger because of experiences of your past or growing up with examples that you've had. Maybe it's pride and arrogance. This isn't an exhaustive list. There are ways in which he wants to undermine you and make you vulnerable and lead you away from Jesus. We've got to know that. We've got to be aware, friends. Dear brothers and sisters, he wants to allure you away from Jesus by any means. By the flesh, by worldly seductive temptations, and if that doesn't work, he'll breed disunity in the church, and he'll isolate you, and he'll pick off, and he'll target people in the church, and he'll, he'll create quarrelling and stuff like that. We've got to be aware of this stuff. So we remain watchful. And Peter says you can resist him. If we can't resist him, if we were supposed to be like, oh my goodness, what do we do now? Just everyone panic. We don't need to. Peter says resist him. If we couldn't resist him, Peter wouldn't have written resist him. He would have said, oh, it's game over, just hide. No, you can resist him. You, resist, you can resist him, firm in your faith. Hallelujah. How do we do that? By being people who pray. There's ways we resist him. And if you're not doing it, then, then you're more vulnerable, friends. My, my 
Church who I love. You're more vulnerable if you don't do these things. And so we resist him by praying, by being a praying people, a people who are prayerful. Resist him by praying when you're going through difficult stuff. Pray when you're facing temptation. Pray in those moments. Make him Lord. Make him Lord. We resist him by knowing and using the word of God. There is one weapon in our arsenal which is offensive. You talk, think about the Apostle Paul when he talks about the armour of God in Ephesians. There's one weapon we're given. And that's not, oh, you should have been given six, like machine guns and rocket launchers. And There's one weapon you're given, and it's absolutely sufficient. It's the greatest weapon you could ever need. And it is this. It is the Word of God. It is Scripture. So friends, know this. Read it, because when he comes and he tempts and he sows lies, you can say, no, no, I know what the, the word of the Lord says. He says, I'm a beloved child. He says, I don't have to fear any evil, for he is with me. So we use the weapons we're given. How, do we, how else do we resist him? We praise him. Make a habit of praising him. How else do we resist him? We become accountable. And we have fellowship. We surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't, you're more vulnerable. We resist him by being filled with the Spirit. Lord, I can't do it on my own. I need your help. You're empowering. Fill me with your Spirit. Maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is the church through the Spirit, being united. A powerful, glorious, beautiful thing. In this way, we can stand firm in our faith, knowing that he has saved us and knowing that his work cannot be undone. Praise God. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Verses 10 and 11 say, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, these are such beautiful verses, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and comfort and strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter had his eyes fixed on eternity in a really authentic way. And so often we are not as good at this. Because we, we live in relative comfort and we enjoy those things. And so they dampen our view of eternity because we're not having to... We don't feel like we have to have our eyes lifted onto it all the time because we're enjoying the present. And we should enjoy the present. It's a gift of God. But have your eyes fixed on eternity. After you've suffered a little while. In, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says as he walks through really difficult hardships, he says these light momentary afflictions are preparing eternal weight of glory. As we walk through life, the challenges we face, we walk through, they are preparing an eternal weight of glory. So Peter says, as far as you are able then. He's saying as far as you are able. He's not being insensitive, he's not being dismissive of those who are going through difficult circumstances. But he says, as far as you are able have your eyes fixed on eternity because it's only for a little while. I know, I know, he, he, Peter's not naive. He doesn't, 
He's, he's not ill-informed. He knows what these Christians that he's writing to are going, to in, going through in the first century. Some of them may have just been criticism at work, but for some it was getting really, really serious, and they were losing lives for it at this point. And so he says, and so he, and, and so he says just for a little while, after you've endured these sufferings for a little while, the God of all grace, oh, wow, the God of all grace, the God of all grace, he won't send his angels. The God of all grace, he won't send someone to greet you at, in, in heaven when you come. The God of all grace. Over and over again in this life as well, but when you go to be with him, will himself restore and strengthen and confirm and establish you. Friends, what a hope we have. What a glorious God we come to. Life isn't straightforward. Life isn't straightforward. But we entrust ourselves to a, a perfect creator whose way and will is better than ours. Even when we think, gosh, well, that was boomy. Um, <laughs> even when we think, gosh, I wouldn't have done it that way. But I wouldn't have. Well, what about that? What about that? The Lord says, my interest is to make you more like my son, Jesus. My interest is to transform you into a child who is, gives great glory to me. That's my interest. It's not your comfort. And he, and, he, and, he, and he would say that so sensitively to us, friends. His interest isn't our comfort. It is that you are transformed. My, as a father, my interest isn't to make my children have the most comfortable life. It is to help them to grow into mature men and women. Who love the Lord. His interest, the Father's interest, is to make you like Jesus. And He Himself, oh guys, He Himself is the one who, as you have traveled through life, and He'll do it over and over again as you walk through from now to eternity when you go and be with Him. He'll do it over and over again, but He will one day fully, He Himself will restore comfort and strengthen and establish you. So you are rooted and confirmed and crowned and rewarded for all eternity with him, with him, the lover of your souls. This is good news. How? Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because the Father, the Godhead agreed, it is good, this is right. Jesus was sent to live a perfect life, to suffer, to be tortured, to be crucified, and to wear your sin, take it off you onto him. So that if you accept him as Lord, he'll say, I took your place. You can have my righteousness and know the Father's love and come into my glory. What a hope. And he himself has done it. And he himself will do it. Isn't that glorious? <coughs> the last thing Peter says is, well, he says, he says a few words, but this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Friends, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I must... You must stand firm in it. 
You must. This is the true grace of God. The love of God. I want to invite the band to come up. And we're going to respond to the word of God. Why don't you um, Why don't you stand if you if you're able if you want to. And um, let's, this is this is a worshipful time. This is a worshipful time. So why don't you just set your eyes on Jesus? Maybe you want to open your hands, receive from the Spirit who wants to comfort and strengthen and empower you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. I thank you that you are faithful. You're a faithful God. You said, you said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I won't leave you as orphans, I'll send you my spirit. It's better that I go and the Holy Spirit will come. Lord, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Welcome you, Lord. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Go to work on our hearts. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we help us live in humility. Oh, Lord, Jesus, you lived. You, the King of all kings, lived humbled. Lord, I pray you'd help us be humble people. Lord, I pray you'd help us throw our anxieties onto you. Jesus. I pray, Father, you'd help us be alert, watchful and attentive. Because we have an enemy. Lord, I pray you'd help us stand firm. Jesus, you're the exalted one. You're the glorious one. You're the risen saviour. And we do not want to live unaware that we've got an enemy, Lord, but we want to stand firm in the true grace of God. Knowing and loving and putting you first, Lord Jesus. Lord, we repent and, and, and ask, oh Lord, forgive us where we're too caught up with other stuff. Ask, Lord, would you be first in our hearts? Please, please, please be first, Lord. Jesus, you're the King of kings. There's nothing and no one else worth living for. Jesus, you're the King. Amen.